future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. try that one again how about with the mic this time everybody <laughs> welcome it is friday march 11th 2022 welcome to raging chickens out the coop podcast yes it's our friday politics roundup everybody this is kevin mahoney founder and creator and i don't know pretty much production assistant <laughs> you name it scheduler producer yeah that's right the raging chicken this is kevin mahoney each week, we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as 5 bucks a month at patreon.com slash rcpress. Head on over, decide your membership level, become a member, and give us some support. You can also help out the show right now by going on over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. Yeah, today we got kind of like, you know, a little bit more casual show, uh, kind of return to form, as it were, to look a little bit at what's happening in this week's news. The news, of course, this week has been dominated uh, by the ongoing war in Ukraine, Russia's invasion. Um, it just gets more horrific by the day. As this past week, we saw the bombing of a hospital and maternity ward. Um, and uh, it just it, it's becoming more devastating. I saw the news coming out this morning where you had um, looks like that long armored kind of battalion or kind of train that's been stretched you know stretched seven miles long headed toward uh, Kiev um, has now kind of uh, kind of dispersed a bit and is kind of rerouting um, repositioning itself. This morning there was uh, bombings in western Ukraine of some airstrips and stuff. So it looks like they're expanding, not contracting their campaign. And that comes, you know, at the same time that we have, uh, you know, supposedly good news coming that... Uh, Putin says that, you know, there's maybe they're going to reach an agreement um, that seems to have more to do with uh, disinformation than anything else. But still, the stock markets decide that they want to go rally because they believe Putin or something. I don't know. It's pretty crazy. And in response to Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine, TikTok extended its maximum video length to 10 minutes. This comes as a response to increased pressure on the platform for its role in spreading misinformation and disinformation. However, as uh, Olivia Little from Media Matters for America warned, um, that that's rather, you know, rather than providing a solution to misinformation and disinformation, the longer videos may only lead to users taking advantage of the longer format to speak longer or spread longer, more complicated misinformation. That same thing is what happened when TikTok originally expanded its video length from one minute to three minutes in the wake of criticism that it was helping spread COVID misinformation. So look at that. Um, the misinformation is out there. You got to be really critical um, and pause before you share. Ask yourself, is this something that's uh, th that could actually be happening? I've seen uh, stuff appear on a variety of different platforms that has 
Um, turns out that it was just, you know, kind of digital. <laughs> just like, you know, people's kind of digital craft stuff or kind of footage taken from uh, movies and said that it's uh, kind of authentic, um, you know, information from training videos that set that pledged to that it's going to be on the, um that it's taking place in ukraine so you got to watch what's going out there um and who you're uh joining as friends i don't know about anybody else but i suddenly had a really uh kind of big up like uptick in friend re friend re requests on several different platforms this week uh, of people who i was already friends with but somehow they have a alternative profile with no picture that they just started um, that they're asking me to be their friend so um, you see this kind of stuff going on china if you've been following this uh china locks down shangchun a city of population about nine million people due to an outbreak of the omicron covid variant um there, that's basically they're sticking to a strict policy uh, geared on preventing the rapid spread of the virus. Um, there's not like thousands and thousands of cases, but when they have an uptick and they see it kind of trending up, they lock it down. Still these strict, strict measures. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., it's masks off for everybody. <laughs> that's right. Take those masks off, you know, because we find out in the end what COVID, it's just a state of mind, right? It's just a state of mind. It's crazy. And that's happening as I'm watching my kids, like not just my kids. Uh, my daughter had COVID last week, got it from her school. We're hearing about all these cases that are spreading through the school districts because, uh, you know, we're just going to stick our heads in the sand and say, hey, you die, you die. You know what Darwin said, right? That's where we are in this country. The uh, trucker freedom convoy. Well, they couldn't decide what to do or how to get there. And once they got there, couldn't figure out what they where to go, what to do. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. You have that big freedom, U.S. freedom convoy that kind of like uh, took place and was supposed to kind of take over Washington, D.C. and show us how freedom and we're going to protest closing down and, and COVID. And meanwhile, there's no lockdowns anymore the mask variants have been lifted and so these truckers didn't know what to do other than circle the beltway of dc for a while um going the speed limit because they didn't want to get arrested for for disrupting traffic i mean it was just whatever um it was really comical there's some actually great reporting uh from some folks who uh were down there um hopefully uh we're gonna have some more on that coming up i put some feelers out to some folks who did some of that reporting um, and it's just remarkable um, what they got. But it just shows you the depth of uh, kind of where we are on the right wing these days. Speaking of the right wing, you got Colorado-based right wing activist Joel Altman this week called for mass hangings of U.S. senators who voted to avert a government shutdown this week. Yep, according to Raw Story, Altman said, quote, There's your list of 19 traitors to the American people. These are the Republicans along with all the other traitors to the American people, he told the Conservative Daily Podcast. I want people to go out there and get some wood. The gallows are getting wider and longer. We should be able to build gallows all the way from Washington, D.C. to California. Now, that's a freaking terrifying kind of image that we have people like this who actually think that's something that should be even thought of. But there you go. And in other news, they found Ernest Shackleton's long-lost Antarctic ship almost perfectly preserved at the bottom of Antarctica's uh, Wendell Sea. Uh, Weddell, she Weddell Sea, I'm sorry. 
Um, the ship sunk over 106 years ago after the ship was crushed by sea ice and Shackleton's entire crew had to be rescued from his failed expedition to the South Pole. Um, I don't know if people saw the pictures of this, but it's it's remarkable. I mean, because of the how cold it is and the pressure that um, there's no back, there's no bacteria that would erode the wood down there. So the wood is like perfectly preserved. And the ship's, ship's crushed, crushed, crushed in things. It sank. Right, but you can see like the steering wheel, or whatever you call it on a ship, and you can see like it's the endurance is the name of the ship. It's still kind of you know clear as day. It was pretty remarkable. In today's PA focused news, uh, PA state legislative maps are locked in. Yep, and Bucks County Democrats have a real chance of flipping two seats given the composition of the new districts. One of them is in the PA 29th. Um, we had Connor O'Hanlon, uh, progressive Democrat from that district who was running for that seat. We had him on the show two weeks ago. Um, and we also uh, have a real shot of flipping the 143rd, which is the new district that I happen to be in. I used to be in the 145th. Uh, yeah, 145th, and now I'm in the 143rd. Um, and the way the composition of these new districts, it really looks like that there's a shot, a really, a really good shot to, swip, to flip the 143rd blue. Speaking of that, last night, uh, the Democratic candidate for that district, Gwen Stoltz, she, visit, she visited the Penridge Democrats last night. Uh, I'll tell you, she's a strong candidate with a local background and has a real shot in flipping the district. So uh, we're going to be watching her campaign really closely. And Central Bucks School Board meets again, and the extremists... Yeah, they're just not going to quit. Yep, during an extra-long public comment period, former anti-maskers and anti-seertiers um, took to the mic to read sexually explicit passages from books that they want banned from the school library. <laughs> How great is that? Yeah, great. Oh, and also Paul Martino was there with his new freshly minted white paper, basically to rebut that, rebut all the information to say that that his his like you know the right wing outraised everyone used all this dark money. He said, no, here it all is. We were the ones who were transparent. But he inadvertently, well, I'll get into this later. He inadvertently kind of showed his hand a little bit in ways that I don't think he, he, he actually thought was like a good thing, right? He saw himself as the knight in shining armor. Uh, well, meanwhile. Um, it just goes to show that there is a real silver lining to uh, what his little supposed white paper shows. And I'll get into that today. You know, I'd also be getting to think that these parents that are showing up, they want to ban CRT. They want to ban equality. They want to ban any talking about trans kids. They want to ban books that are kind of any kind of sexual, like sexually explicit stuff in it or kind of, God forbid, depict like, you know, gay people in a positive light. You know, I'm beginning to think and I was thinking about this on my on my on my way home from work the other day. I'm beginning to think that really why this is the case is because they're trying to kind of prevent their own children, right, from calling them out on their own bigotry and racism. And I'll, I'll tell you what got me thinking about this, right? I, you know, it's a bunch of stuff I've been reading and things, and I came, I wish I could remember this what article it was. I was trying to pull it up this morning. But I was thinking about this uh, this whole notion about, you know, the teaching of, you know, the real history of slavery, the real history of racism in this country, right? The whole 1619 project, everything, um, all that kind of stuff. And in one of these articles that I was reading was just talking about how uh, rarely do we ask, like, people like me, like white guys, right? White people in general, right? Where their parents and grandparents were in the midst of segregation, and what, what role they may have played, right? And I think that's a really good question, 
right? Um, you know, and I so I thought about that as like, well, yeah, of course, if you teach the real history, you're going to find out that, you know, a lot of us, right, a, a lot of our, you know, in our whatever extended histories, right, were at very least directly complicit with systems of racism. I mean, I think that's just true. Right. Um, and then but what is it, you know, and it, what happens if you find out that it was like, you know, it wasn't like great, 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 great grandma, but it was grandpa. <laughs> right. I got to think that some of what this like anxiousness is that's happening around this curriculum stuff has to do with that issue. Right. And the and the way it's perpetuated within these families but and churches, by the way. So anyways, anyways, anyways. So today's last call, I don't even know what I'm going to talk about today's last call. Um, we'll see what kind of is on all your minds. Uh, so if you got stuff that you're kind of interested in um, that you've been following this week, uh, you can throw that in today's chat. You now we can kind of pick some of that stuff up, maybe address some of it in the last call. Um, I've also, uh, I've got to say, um, I am can't wait that today I'm going to be uh, checking out this week's episode of the dungeon run um i'll tell you more about that and why that's kind of important i'm also continuing to building my campaign and on DD, and i also have my uh long-term hope that i'm going to eventually come across a uh a kind of a progressive group of folks in the area that want to play DD with me <laughs> because it's great doing it with my kids but it'd be like really cool to actually um uh have a regular kind of campaign that would be also uh with other folks that I want to be around. Let's put it that way. So for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, and Facebook. You know, everywhere you can get it. You got to subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Really, you just got to head on over to the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. He's got great stuff. Um, he had a great show last night. He had a professor from Bloomsburg on talking about uh, some of the history of Russia. It was, it was fantastic. Um, I might reach out to that same guy too, um, or, or some other folks on it to give us some of that background and that history. It was a really good show. And it's official. Season two of the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast is flooding the streams. You can find it on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. <sighs> the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Attention gamers, the Game Inn is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, and loads of collectibles, action figures, and Funko Pops. And kids get a discount with every A on their report card. Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at the Game Inn. That's with two N's. That's at the Game Inn on Twitter. Got a question about a game? Looking for something hard to get? Shoot them a message. Drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Um, you know, they're awesome folks. They're awesome folks. And a special shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote the intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff and uh, follow him on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at at Song of Day Man. That's with two ends. It's at Song of Day Man on Twitter. Coming up on Out to Coop Live, this Monday, um, right now, it's uh, it very well may be a uh, kind of a solo show, which we're kind of, uh, we're going to dive, we would dive, if it is that case, if it goes to be a solo show on Monday, I'm probably going to dive in some some updates of what's happening in the state system of higher education and what's going on in um, kind of in the moves that are there. There were some uh, Westchester, uh, the Chancellor Greenstein was at Westchester University, and uh, he uh, basically took some heat from some students and faculty uh, about consolidations and so on. So I'm reserving that for a little bit for a Monday night if uh, I do the solo show. However, I've got like three feelers out to folks. 
um, that uh, it's, a, it, it's a matter of kind of scheduling and kind of hearing back from folks and things like this. So it could very well that we have a, we do have a guest on Monday. If we do, um, I'll put that information out to all our socials um, when we can. But in two weeks from Monday, on Monday, March 21st, I welcome William Horn to the show. And he's going to talk about his recent article in Truthout called Fascism's Legal Phase Has Begun, Threats of White Vigilante Violence Are Real. Horn's an Arthur J. Ennis postdoctoral uh, fellow at Villanova University who writes about the relationship of race to labor, freedom, and capitalism after the Civil War. He holds a PhD from George Washington University, and he's co-founder and editor of the Activist History View. Um, should be a great conversation. Um, that Again, that's Monday, March 21st at 7 p.m. on Coop Live. Look, everybody, if you want a progressive future, we need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Just head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress and choose your membership level. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media in the movement and the movement in the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month by going to patreon.com slash rcpress today and i gotta say we're very close to being able to announce uh a new initiative we have uh, to kind of join the fight um for uh you know for <laughs> sane school boards and progressive candidates um in bucks county um i should have information on that probably coming up this week so uh I'm going to first probably talk about it on um, Patreon to the, to our patrons, um, get, get a little kind of uh, sense of the room, so to speak, uh, what they think. Um, maybe I'll start putting some stuff out to our mailing list, um, and then uh, we'll look and pushing this stuff out on our socials. So more on that to come in the days ahead. Very much looking forward to it. Can't wait, can't wait. So everybody, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in today. Um, um it's uh, it's one of these days, you know, I'm my mind is going in like a thousand different directions. Um, it was a really busy week at work and um, I'm technically I'm on spring break now, which is which is awesome. Um, and one of the reasons why it was such a busy week is I wanted to make sure that I was clearing my plate with as much of my work as possible. So I didn't spend my entire spring break um grading papers and stuff. So I try to get most of that grading done. I still got a bunch more to do, of course, because there's always grading to be done and work to be done. Um, but so I was just kind of, you know, nose to the grindstone for much of the week. Um, but I have been following, you know, especially what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, how can you not? Um, it's difficult to kind of turn away from, well, I don't turn away is the wrong word. I mean, from kind of avoiding that kind of news. I mean, it's just uh, front and center and for really good reasons, of course. Um, the, what is, what the Russians are doing in Ukraine is, uh, you know, I, look, this is where I'll, I'll give Kamala Harris, you know, I'll give her the, the quote for it. I mean, she called for, uh, war crimes investigations of, uh, against Vladimir Putin and the Russian military in terms of what they're doing in, uh, the Ukraine. I mean, indiscriminate shelling of civilian neighborhoods and hospitals and, uh, civilian uh, civilian and uh, humanitarian infrastructure that looks like that's only going to get worse in the days ahead um, especially as as I was reading this morning that we're seeing that there has been an increase in bombing in western Ukraine um, and you gotta think that the reason that is happening is because we've seen um, you know some of the news stories this week, have been focused on what kind of military aid is uh, is our say NATO countries going to provide? Excuse me, Ukraine, and how is that going to happen? 
So there was these this back and forth, this kind of weird diplomatic uh, back and forth uh, with between Poland and the United States, where uh, there were originally reports that um, Poland, um, uh, the government of Poland was in conversation with the U.S. government about um, instead of having NATO countries directly uh, trade uh, or send um, planes in or have a no-fly zone, that uh, Poland, they would ask Poland to hand over or give its MiG fighters um, to uh, Ukraine, just kind of like right across the border, and that the U.S. would kind of backfill their own, like, Poland's military with new F-16 fighters. Um, what the status was, I mean, the U.S. State Department and U.S. government officials are saying, no, that was never discussed. We don't know what they're talking about. Um, Poland seems to be kind of <laughs> not having any of it. Said, OK, fine, then we're just going to ship those MiG fighters over to the U.S. air bases in Germany and then you guys can deal with it. Right. Um, so got to feel that that was part of a, you know. <laughs> a little bit of a kind of like finger in the eye, like, oh, really? You're going to kind of say that you we weren't having these discussions? Okay, fine. You you deal with it then. Um, don't try to have us do your dirty work. I think it was there was a little bit of that um, seemed to be at work. Um, or, you know, maybe it was. Maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe it was just a really, um, you know, Poland feeling, you know, got a long history of uh, bad things happen when it comes from Russia of not wanting to kind of be the next target in uh, Russians moves, uh, Russia's move. So you got to think about um, as there's more discussion about moving weapons into Ukraine uh, from NATO countries, that's, of course, that you know, they're up against uh, Ukraine on the western borders that uh, Russia is kind of wanting to basically show, well, we're going to come out there then, too. We're not going to allow you to establish supply lines um, out there, so we're going to start bombing the infrastructure out in the West. So it's not good. It's not good. And, um, you know, I, I do have my uh, my feed up here too, because you never know. Things are, uh, are moving quickly. Um, Biden, okay, so I was just about to say this, but I just refreshed my feed, and actually this has been announced now, that Biden just basically announced that uh, U.S. will move to revoke the most favored nation status from, from Russia, um, and that, com that basically ends kind of normal trade relations um, with Russia. It's increasing and ramping up this economic pressure um, that we see. So it's... Uh, it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be something and it's devastating. You know, there's been. I've been really trying to. Think carefully about what's. Happening there, and I don't know about about you all, but I mean, I'm I, I find myself pulled in these two different kinds of directions almost all like consistently all day long when um, kind of following what's happening in Ukraine, I mean, the, the devastation and the, and the, 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 the destruct, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the humanitarian crisis that is coming out of this is just like, oh, my freaking hair's gone crazy. I should wear a hat. I got to pick up one on my break. Um, but the, uh, the, the, you know, the, just the, the killing of like, it's, I mean, it's got to be in the multiple hundreds, if not thousands at this point. Is that you see that and you know i just want to we need to do something about that right um that we got to help right we got to get in there and help and then you know and i understand that instinct right and i'm not like a warmonger 
here, you know? Um, and, but I, I feel a lot of people have the instinct to help and then how to do that. Right. I mean, how to help. I mean, I, I've talked a little bit about before on the show, you know, and, and kind of online about different ways to provide kind of humanitarian aid, um, um, and going to do that. But I, I start getting really nervous when we see this, you know, pressure to just go to war. Right. Um, I do think is it's a it's a huge move if the United States and NATO countries get involved with uh, direct attacks with Russia. Um, what is that going to mean? And then I also then I, I'll play that out for you. Right. So that I say that. And then the next voice in the conversation in my head is kind of like, yeah, but we remember World War II, right? I remember what happens when you just kind of like hope for the best or whatever. And then the other voice in the conversation, yet another one comes and basically say, yeah, okay, but this isn't like, a, this isn't like risk. You know what I mean? It's not like countries on a map we're talking about actual people being slaughtered so this like having ukrainians be sacrificial lambs in this it's just like i i can't i i cannot <laughs> right so i i've been trying to kind of be very careful about or, or very i should say critical about both my emotions in, re in relationship to watching this stuff and kind of this this push in these kind of directions, um, and then the recognition that there are there are people who really have don't give a crap about Ukrainians, um, but do give a crap about the military industrial complex and would would love an opportunity to kind of go to war, right? Um, and I know that those people also don't care about any of us, right? And will never do a serious assessment of what it would mean to kind of escalate the conflict, right? Um, and potentially introduce, even if they're tactical nuclear weapons, but um, you see this these bio threats that are are beginning to kind of emerge as a potential false flag operation that Russia is talking about in, in Ukraine. At least that's what U.S. you know. U.S. sources are saying and some some European sources are saying that Russia is beginning to introduce into its kind of like propaganda landscape. It's uh, this idea that um, Ukrainians may have chemical weapons or they may have bioweapons. And these people are saying this is an indication that maybe they're trying to prepare the ground for a false flag operation where there's a release of chemical or biological weapon in the areas um, and then blame Ukraine for that as a, 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 you know, as as a rationale for launching a, you know, unthinkable attack. So there we are. I mean, as you can see, I mean, my own thinking on this is super messy. Um, and, you know, my my gut, well, I should say my actions at this point <laughs> have not been to write my legislator and say, go to war. Um, they have been to try to seek out um, good sources to, you know, to assist in humanitarian aid, whether that's, you know, the um, Jamie Davis's idea and then uh, um, uh, Diana Lagerman kind of put this up to as well on Twitter this week about, you know, reserving uh, um, Airbnbs in Ukraine um, for people that are fleeing just to try to get them money and let them know, look, I'm not coming. This is just one way to get you money individually. Um, and then on the other hand, um, 
looking for aid organizations, um, you know, that are, are reputable, trying to steer away from any of these uh, scams that are beginning to emerge. Um, Doctors Without Borders has always been a phenomenal organization that is going to actually provide real aid. I know that um, um, there's some folks at Kutztown that are working with the Ukrainian Society out of Philadelphia that they're providing direct aid. Um, I, I have personally, I, I've given some to that in support of some of my colleagues who are doing work with them. Um, but um, I, I, I'm a little cautious when it comes to, uh, you know, um, church-dominated organizations. Um, that's my own kind of bias, especially since there's already been issues around, uh, you know, transphobia and all sorts of kinds of stuff that I got was emerges. I want to make sure that's going to be to a secular organization, but that, but I'm, you know, helping them out too as well. Cause I, you know, I trust my colleagues who tell me that there's, they're doing some good work. So Amy says, yeah, that reminds me, uh, definitely reminds me of the 1930s appeasement tactics. And, you know, I, 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 I have that in the back of my head, believe me. Um, and I do think that, you know, while we have to be careful, I think, of, you know, these kind of historical one for ones, uh, I certainly <laughs> believe me, I think about that all the time. And that whole idea about appeasement, what happens when you allow them to take, you know, a country? What happens when they, you know, said, OK, we're going to allow Hitler to do this because it's not us. We're going to stay out of it. Um, you know, that's I'm sure that's weighing on a lot of folks minds, too, as well. they got to make this decision about whether they move forward or not. So you know, it's messy. I mean, I, I was looking for, there's a couple people I wanted to talk to this week and I just, just couldn't, I couldn't for a bunch of reasons. Um, or I tried to, and just could the, you know, people I wanted to talk to in like face to face were not around when I was around. So, um, just to get some other perspectives on this. So I don't know what else to say. There is a, um, you know, media matters for America has been doing some really great work on, uh, looking at, uh, mis and disinformation, um, being spread in, um, in, you know, online spaces in particular like, you know, Facebook and TikTok and, and, and all these different platforms. And this week I came across, um, the writing and I, you know, it's funny, it's funny how, you know, things come full circle. I remember reading some of her stuff a while back and then came across some of her work here. Um, her name is Olivia Little. Um, and there'll be a, a link in today's show notes at the end of the show, but Olivia Little, um, she writes, um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drop it into chat right now. So it'll be there. Um, she's just been doing some really cool work um, for Media Matters for America on uh, disinformation and particular kind of right wing um, disinformation that's being spread. So uh, just to, here's like a sample of the, the three latest articles or four latest articles. She's got one TikTok's 10 minute video feature is a potential misinformation nightmare, which I'll talk about in a second. Another one, the Alex Jones show is streaming on Spotify. Another one, TikTok is allowing the filter that stimulates starvation. Th that is the most disturbing one that I read of her stuff. Uh, then like a QAnon affiliated January 6th insurrectionist is now organizing U.S. anti-vax trucker convoys, right? That was from back on uh, February 17th, right? So she's been following some of this stuff really closely. Um, what brought me to her stuff was that she's got a great report um, that she did on Moms for Liberty, and so she's another she's one of these folks that I've reached out to to see if I can get, get her on the show because I would love um, to talk about this back in November. She put out a uh, authored report called um, uh, Unmasking Moms for Liberty, where she's, you know, basically showing what's going on. She's also links to a report The Washington Post put out about Moms for Liberty back in October. Um, and she's been covering this and has provided some really 
um, useful context for how we understand what's happening in our local school board. So uh, check her out. Um, you know, you know, give her stuff a shout out if you can, because I think she's doing really like fabulous work. Anyways, um, so yeah, in that, what's interesting about the 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 report that she put out or the the article that she put out on TikTok is that, you know, what she finds, and we see this happening in these, um, you know, these different social media platforms. And I, I don't think we have a kind of really good answer about how this should, you know, how we should resolve this stuff. Because um, certainly the way the, the self-regulation of these platforms, you know, that's, it's a, it's a joke, right? So what had happened is, and according to her reporting, is that back in, uh, during COVID, is that uh, it started emerging that TikTok became, you know, because it's a relatively newer platform, right, compared to the others, um, TikTok, along with Facebook, but TikTok was um, a new source of misinformation around COVID. And so you had these influencers, right? Everything is driven, of course, by number of clicks and time watched and all that kind of stuff. So there's an incentive to play into kind of conspiracy theories if you're looking just to get paid, right? Because TikTok, you know, TikTok will pay you um, if you get a certain number of hits and all that stuff. So you had this system that was built um, built around kind of, you know, eyes on it and kind of an algorithm that was trying to drive you to kind of send you very quickly back to more stuff that you, quote unquote, want to see. Um, and criticism began saying, is that, yeah, you just have these short little, you know, you have these short little videos, one minute where um, misinformation is spread. And there's really not a time to really dig into the details. So TikTok's response to increasing pressure was, oh, OK, we'll just kind of we'll make it three minute videos. Because it's about time, right? Because you need more time to explain it. But what Olivia Little shows is that, no, no, no. All that did was basically expand the depth and length and, <laughs> you know, um, of uh, of their misinformation. It just became more complicated and more kind of complex and more convoluted in many ways. And so right now, um, because TikTok has also been one of these spaces where a lot of folks in Ukraine and Russia, for that matter, um, and in the region, are posting TikToks about what's actually happening, right, um, from on the ground, um, but it's also being exploited um, by for for users who are trying to spread misinformation and disinformation, right, and so TikTok once again just kind of like okay, well we tripled our time before, let's triple it again, so now ten minutes, now you can have ten minute videos, and yes, that will lead to you know. Um, more kind of like lengthy videos and coverage of what's happening and say in terms of these battles and things that we begin to see or that, but it's also like a potential platform to spread that misinformation. So it doesn't really solve the problem. Right. And, and so the issue there, what I'm trying to get at is like, you know, it's like we see these technological solutions to tech to problems with technology and they almost never work. Right. Because we've got to remember the bottom line of any of these platforms is to make money. Right. They are trying to generate algorithms that are going to have kind of users kind of engage with them and stay on the platform. Right. And the more they keep them stay on the platform, the better. And one of the ways that you keep people on the platform is fear. Right. Is sex is, uh, you know, um, anything that is going to kind of um, stoke kind of the, 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 the basis aspects of humankind. Right. Um, and that attracts those people and keeps them on there. And so, you know, it's it's very business model runs counter to, you know, providing real information. Right. So, you know, if you can't hype people up with kind of fake kind of like crazy stories, right, then, you know, people are not going to be less engaged, even if the, if the information that becomes better. Right. 
it's going to, you know, potentially decrease or they're worried at least about a decrease in engagement, which means a decrease in profit. So that's what's driving it, you know. So I don't know. Amy says, yeah, NATO was designed to stop people like Putin is like, yeah. And, uh, you know, right now, the, the, the line has been, you know, NATO is uh, a defensive pact, right? That it, um, and again, we have to put all this stuff in quotes, and that um, it will defend NATO every, every inch, I think Biden said, every inch of NATO territory. So basically, if Russia basically crosses the border into Poland, they're basically saying, okay, then we go to war. Um, but since Ukraine is not part of NATO, we're not going to do it. I don't know. Don't know. Uh, came across this story this morning, too, as well. China locked down uh, Shangshun. I think it's how you say it. Uh, Shangshun. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, uh, it's got a population of about over 9 million people. And there has been uh, a spike in cases of, of COVID, right? Particularly the Omicron variant. Um, and China is still in kind of like this, you know, severe lockdown mode, right? These really strict measures that we see a spike. We're going to shut things down for a short period of time, right, to prevent its spread, and then we'll slowly begin to open up again, right? Um, now, if you read it in a kind of in Western papers, the United States or U.S. papers, right, they call this a kind of like draconian measure, right, whatever like this, right? They're going to make it sound like, you know, this is just more about like state abuse and all that stuff. And, you know, we could, you know, our, I mean, I'm not saying that it's a free society in China. That's not my point. My point is simply a measure of trying to control the virus, right, and pre prevent its spread, which means also prevent deaths, um, is a way um, to respond to this, right? Um, the way that we are basically, uh, like, I think people are basically done, right? Um, I went in a Wawa yesterday, and uh, for the first time, um, all the workers except for one in I went to Wawa twice yesterday, actually, once because I need, needed to get gas the second time. Um, in the second one, there were two workers with a mask on. The, the, the first one, there was just one. And all the workers didn't have their mask on. And then up, in, up until literally yesterday, all the workers at Wawa had masks, and that's gone. So they're, you know, it's masks off everywhere. Um, I've said this on the show before um, at Kutztown. They actually left the... Um, um, the masks, the mask requirement in place for classrooms, right? So that, which is great for me, <laughs> right? Because I mean, I would have worn my mask anyways, um, because, you know, well, because I believe viruses are real and things like this. And I still am someone who's going to be more at risk and things like this. Right. Um, but they left in the mask place in the classroom. But the hallways outside the classroom, no, there's no mask requirement. The dining halls, any other space on campus that is not a kind of closed uh, lab or classroom, um, you can have you can you have take your mask off. And of course, what this means is that you know it's you're going to have more cases. Um, ideally, you know, I mean, I, I frankly, I would have, you know, I, I think that's going to happen one way or another. But I think it would have been a smart move to wait until after spring break. Um, which is uh, this, you know, next week coming up and then wait for a week coming back and then start to lift that up because then by then the weather's going to be a little bit warmer, right? And plus, you know, you know what happens on spring break, right? There's going to be all this, you know, kind of interactions over spring break and there's going to be a spike in COVID. So why not keep those measures in place so you're not going to basically infect food service workers or, uh, 
uh, you know, custodial workers or other students in dorms and things like this, it would make more sense. So here we are, you know, we're just going to do the mask off thing. And that's where it's going to be. It's incredible. And I don't know if people have been following the trucker convoy, the freedom convoy. <laughs> it was great. It was awesome. It was hilarious. Uh, I think some of my uh, some of the best notes I was listening to the Rick Smith show um, and uh, one of the things he was saying about it was or one of the guests uh, Sarah Burris was on from Ross um, Ross story Delhi Beast maybe um, this is just great is like you know saying that there was uh, it rained the other day right so I well apparently the apparently the plan all right they they went to this like raceway right in Hagerstown Maryland and they went to this raceway and they all got there and the initial reports were, okay, now they're going to do something. But when they got there, nobody knew what they're supposed to do. So they just got to create this big encampment, right? Out of this place. Right. So then somewhere along the line, they decided, okay, we're going to go, we're going to go block traffic on the, the Capitol beltway in DC. Right. Well, it's a, it's a serious crime if you do right down that way, because of like national security issues and everything. Like that. But so, um, and it's like strict speed stuff, speed, uh, you know, speed requirements. You have to have a minimum, maximum, that kind of stuff on the Beltway. Um, so they decided to go to the Beltway, but they decided to make sure, be very careful not to impede traffic, <laughs> right? <laughs> to make sure you stay over on the right-hand lane and go slow. You know, if you don't go in the fast lane and go slow because you don't want to get a ticket. You don't want to get – it was like, so wait, you're going to have this kind of action – where you're you're just so i guess the action is that you're gonna have signs on your trucks that people can read right i mean because you remember it was like in canada they shut down ottawa right they shut everything came to a halt they said yes and you guys let's do that too let's do that too and like here it's like oh no and then they come to find out that apparently again rick smith was talking about this last night apparently a lot of those truckers that you know who were truckers who had the trucks they weren't i mean not to say i'm not saying this is everybody but a lot of them who came weren't like the actual truckers themselves right and what i mean by that is this is like so you know if you're if you're you make your livelihood as a trucker you make you when you stop delivering stuff you stop earning money right they find that a, a whole lot of people that were going there were the owners of these small trucking companies Right. And so basically when the weather got a little, a little, a little rainy, they got a little nervous about driving these big rigs in the rain. <laughs> so they canceled for a day. I mean, it's just like, it's just crazy. I mean, if this is just kind of like, you know, whatever, whatever that is. And then on the other hand of the right wing, you got this Colorado based right wing activist, Joel Altman this week, basically saying, you know, cause there was like this big budget thing. And, you know, there was a big question of Republicans going to try to shut down the government again. Um, and uh, and so oh, Amy said, yeah, did you see Ted Cruz there? Oh, yeah, Ted Cruz was like, got a ride in a truck, <laughs> like a little kid there. Hi, we get a ride with the truckers, right? And I'm sorry, if anybody who, like, knows Ted Cruz, I mean, it's like an open secret in Washington that people hate him, right? Just at not, this politics aside, as a person, they hate him, Right. And so remember, this is the guy that when, you know, he had kind of that that giant freeze in Texas where people were kind of like dying and didn't have power and and all this that, you know, he basically got, you know, hopped the border and kind of went to Cancun with his family right on a vacation to go to a nice warmer climate to get out of there instead of sticking around and kind of do it. And so that was that produced enough shame 
right? For him to have to him to come back, right? Because I mean, that's how like horrible of a human being he is, right? Um, but whatever. That's the Ted Cruz. You can't tell me these guys. When Ted Cruz gets up there and his smarmy kind of like like pretending everyman thing, that these people just can't. They walk away with like, yeah, it's Ted Cruz. Oh God, the guy's such an ass. But whatever, whatever. A blight on humanity, indeed. Um, there you go. Um, but you know, so you got that guy, this guy out in Colorado, Joe Altman, basically, you know, as a result of you know Republicans joining some Democrats and joining in and basically saying, no, no, we're not going to shut down the government. We're going to pass this budget bill. Um, continue, continue resolutions that the government can operate for another few more months without kind of shutting everything down. They passed it, so now we got this guy. Who basically has um, he has his own? Let me see. Was I forget the guys? The name of his group is called FEC United, right? Um, based in Colorado, and it's a right wing group, and it has its own militia. Isn't that nice to know? So another Colorado based like militia nut is uh, kind of calling for people to be strung up on gallows um, because they voted um, to keep the government up and running. How about that crazy and last thing from uh kind of national stuff uh you got uh, erno shackleton's long lost antarctic ship the endurance was found uh pictures of that are just really freaking cool um so i just wanted to gotta throw that in just um i wasn't one of these like shackleton nuts i know there's some there's some people i don't know, I shouldn't say nuts but i mean uh folks who were really just kind of like loved it they know everything about it i, I knew some of these folks kind of growing up is just like and it's a fascinating story right and there was a movie that came out it was younger and stuff um, but I, you know, it was kind of something I knew about it, knew about some of the history, but it was still just fascinating to see this ship, right. Um, like almost perfectly preserved at the bottom of the, uh, um, of the Weddell Sea. I'm like, so, what do they say? Like how many thousand feet underneath it? They say, I, let me see if I can, I want to say, ten, yeah, 10,000, I was going to say 10,000 feet. So you say it, the wooden ship, the endurance is located remarkably intact, about 10,000 feet underwater in the Weddell Sea. Um, and apparently, like I said, it was because um, this the bacteria that would uh, erode the wood or eat away the ro- the wood or corrode the um, like the metal kind of endurance sign that was on there. Uh, they just don't grow. It's too cold for them there. Too you know, um, and so it just preserves. You can see like the wood. Well, you can see like you know the big wheel on top of the ship. Um, it, it's just remarkable. It's just remarkable. And they had these kind of robotic explorers go down and check it out. So it's pretty cool. Anyways, uh, I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, um, we'll kind of talk a little about what's happening here in PA, uh, introduce you to uh, the new uh, political candidate here in in the uh, um, upper Bucks region. Uh, Gwen Stoltz will be running in the 143rd. I hope we flip that to blue. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that um, and a bunch more. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Want to remind you that you can help out this show by heading on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Um, and we'll be right back after this quick note, uh, or this quick break, quick note, quick break um, with more um, with our PA Focus. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. We'll be right back. Oops, wrong ones. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. 
On this day in labor history, the year was 1937. It was a tragic day of history repeating itself. An explosion occurred deep inside the Macbeth mine in Logan, West Virginia. In the immediate aftermath, the bodies of two miners were recovered. Rescue crews scrambled to locate and save the other trapped miners confined in the mine. But the explosion had occurred two miles from the mine's entrance, making rescue extremely difficult and dangerous. Newspapers from the region reporting on the rescue efforts painted a grim picture. The Eugene Register Guard painted a heartbreaking picture of stumbling rescue crews, so worn out they could only speak with difficulty of the terrors of the explosion in the deep pit. In all, 18 miners lost their lives on this date. For the miners and their families, the day was cruelly tragic. For just six months earlier, on September 2nd, an explosion had occurred at the very same mine, claiming the lives of 10 of their comrades. The September explosion was blamed on a spark from a cart hauling the coal. It ignited the dangerous gases that saturate the air in the mines. The company claimed the mine was safe and the methane gas problem had been solved. But the second explosion likely had the same cause. In West Virginia alone, there have been more than 90 recorded mine explosions, resulting in thousands of deaths since 1886. The worst disaster occurred in 1907, when an explosion at the Monaga mine killed 361 workers. In 2010, 29 miners tragically lost their lives in the Upper Big Branch coal mine. Mine workers have been some of the strongest and most vocal participants in the U.S. labor movement. Mine workers and their unions have continually fought and organized for safer working conditions and fair wages for this highly dangerous work. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryintwo.com. Oop, I just got, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, I came back with no sound. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, so I will now do what I was saying, uh, except with sound. How about that? I'm a little bit off today, if you haven't noticed. Um, anyways, welcome back, everybody. This is Kevin Mahoney, uh, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. And um, I, yes, I had my mic muted uh, accidentally. I saw, sorry for that. Um, anyways, um, here in the Pennsylvania, um, and thank you, Amy, for giving me that alert. Um, here in the new state legislative maps are locked in now. You remember the PA Supreme Court has um, decided that, you know, has picked the maps um, that we're going to follow. Um, and while they're, uh, the maps are more favorable to uh, Democrats than previous maps, um, they also tend to lead in, still lean Republican um, and favor some Republican incumbents. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag, but um, definitely favorable for Democratic um, pickups in the state legislature, which is good news. Um, now, in here in, uh, oh, and I also should say that over at the Pennsylvania Capital Star, there's, there's a really good um, article on um, the Supreme Court, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's reasoning for um, choosing the maps that they did. When they, original, they originally released the map and kind of um, chose a map and kind of put it out there, um, there was no commentary on it. There was no kind of opinion giving. There wasn't a rationale that was released as along with it. But now um, I think each of the justices, um, uh, the state Supreme Court justices, have released their opinions and their discussion about, about the decision. Um, you know, it was a split decision. It was a 5-4 decision, I believe, um, or 4-3 decision. And um, 
so they released their opinions. And so the Pennsylvania Capital Stars got a little breakdown of what each of the justices uh, wrote, which is kind of cool to see. Um, so do check that out if you get a chance. Um, here in Bucks County, um, there's there's an opportunity to pick up at least two state legislative seats. Right. Um, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Connor O'Hanlon on. He is in the new PA 29th district. That's in the kind of Doylestown area. It's kind of Doylestown South. Um, and uh, bulk, you heard Connor on the show, but also um, the state Democrats seem really charged up about that being a flippable seat. Um, and it looks very favorable um, if you get the right candidate in there. Right. Um, that's part because the incumbent Republican has said she's not going to run. Right. So it's kind of an open seat um, thus far. Um, there has not been a very strong candidate on the Republican side of things that has, has emerged. There were four candidates on the Democratic side that um, that originally were stepping up. But I'm I'm hearing that one of those candidates may have actually pulled out of the race, which would mean even more favorable for Connor um, um, in that. So we shall see where that how that plays out. Um, the other district that also there's a, a really kind of realistic and strong chance that, that we can flip the seat is the 143rd. And that's a district that I'm in. I, I used to be in the 145th, which is kind of Quakertown and kind of the, the northern end of Bucks County. That was Craig Stats. And, you know, uh, I'm sorry for all those folks who used to be in the 143rd and uh, are now stuck with stats. Um, but uh, there was it was really difficult to get movement up in there or get even decent candidates um, that would run. It's not that there weren't decent people who were run for those seats, but, you know, it was um, there wasn't a, a kind of a machine built, <laughs> if you will, an organization built around those folks. Um, there were a couple of people who ran, which I thought were going to run again. And I think they had a really good shot. But um, but that just didn't happen. You know, those people have lives and things that makes it tough to kind of keep on doing that so um if, so you heard connor and then the other thing that uh, was kind of exciting news on my end was that last night um the penridge democrats um had a kind of like a meet and greet zoom session right with um the candidate for the pa 143rd or the 143rd state legislative district here um, her name is gwen stoltz and uh I got to say, she is a strong candidate. Um, she is, um, I'll tell you a couple things that I was i was really impressed learning about her. I didn't know much about her. Um, and um, that's to no fault of her own or anything like this, because um, she's clearly someone who's been around for a while. Like, I'll just want to kind of tell you a couple things. But she, this is like, she's served in seven, seven years, right, uh, as an elected kind of committee member of the kind of county um, Democratic Party, right? So she's been involved, she's been around, she's worked on a kind of election, she's campaigned, she's door knocked, she's done all that kind of stuff that you would imagine to, um, that would be part of understanding the mechanics of a, of a campaign. And that, I, I can't tell you how important that is, especially when we're kind of talking about um, a, a very organized um right wing in the county, right? So having that infrastructure and understanding what is involved with the campaign and to already be plugged into some of the um, the organizational kind of infrastructure of the campaign is going to be a huge, huge asset. So that's number one. Number two, um, she, uh, she went to Central Bucks. She grew up in the county. She went to Central Bucks. 
Um, she's kind of, you know, been in the area for a long period of time. Uh, her husband was, uh, grew up as farmer in Blooming Glen and went to the Penridge school district. Right. So they both have long roots in here. They're not kind of one of these parachuted candidates that comes in, boom, drops in and kind of runs for election. And then we don't see from them again. No, she's got, um, kind of strong roots in the, uh, in the area. She's also a biochemist. And she's worked in part regionally for the EPA, um, basically doing kind of testing of, uh, I believe she wanted to say, let me see what I got here. She did research for them, the testing, I want to say water, um, did testing on kind of water throughout the region and stuff like this um, as a scientist, right? So, you know, she's got practice. She's, um, she's a, will be a fierce defender of kind of uh, women's right to choose. Um, she is, she put that front and center. She's like, there's, you know, this is got to be an absolute, this is a critical time where we could see women's rights being rolled back, um, given what decisions that we're seeing at the national level in the Supreme Court. So it's all the more important to kind of have strong defenders here in the state. Um, she's, uh, you know, she ticks all the boxes. You know what I'm saying? It's like um, there's, I hate getting excited about two or being too hopeful because I, I know, you know, how hard of a struggle this stuff is, but, um, I, she's got a real shot, especially I think seeing other folks on the call and hearing about, you know, some of the buzz in the community. Um, there's people that are excited about her, her candidacy. So I I'm, I'm psyched. So hopefully we're going to be able to get her on the show at some point. Um, so that you can get, to, you get to meet her too as well. Um, it's a it's going to be an interesting campaign, and I think there's going to be a good shot to flip this district. Uh, flip this district if uh, you know we got the organizing on the ground to, to help out. So that's really exciting um, there. Another news in Central Bucks. Uh, yep, the school board met this week, and uh, I think it was uh, Diana Lagerman who again was saying that yeah. Uh, yeah, the former anti-maskers didn't go away. Nope, they just got a new cause, right? And now it's banning books, right? So uh, we're back to the banning books. And I swear, I feel like I'm being thrown back to my childhood here because it's suddenly you've got all the pearl clutchers uh, and, um, you know, the moral, the, you know, uh, what are they called? The moral majority folks, right, from the 1980s and stuff, 1970s, 1980s, showing up everywhere. Um and wanting to kind of stop these books, right? And again, there's the there's the thing that they say and there's the thing that they mean, right? Or there's the practice of it. So on the one hand, they're trying to protect their delicate little flowers, their kids, right? Um, from reading things that they might, you know, have to clutch their pearls over, right? And usually that has to involve sex, right? I mean, we're a sexually repressed um, country. That's, you know, true. Um, and so anytime that you get... Um, something that is more sexually suggestive or sexually explicit, um, that these, these folks kind of freak out. Right. Um, and they, they'll, they'll look at a particular passage or a particular, you know, scene within a piece of literature and, um, they'll make it sound like the entire book is nothing but smut. Right. I mean, that's how it, that's how it works. So, you know, I don't know how else you grapple with a really hit home stuff. Like, I mean, you know, then, well, anyways, we'll get to that in a second. So because you get these students that are these parents who are kind of coming out, wanting to kind of protect their, you know, their little children from, you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers, who they're really talking about here, because that's where these books are available. Um, 
they they want to kind of protect them and raise kind of morally upstanding or you know um, kind of families and children. Um, you got to wonder about their motivation. Um, but I mentioned a little bit at the top, but I'll come back to it. So basically, what they did is they show up at the school board meeting and, you know, they're all prepared. They're using the same playbook that they did for CRT and for anti-mass. They all come prepared. They all kind of work with other, and they kind of going to flood the school board and they're going to do this performance, right? They're going to take over that space and they're going to have an out and kind of an outsized impact um, on the discussion because that's what's going to get the coverage. And that's also um, because they're organized, right? And then the school board is going to feel the pressure and all that stuff. So what they actually did was uh, you have like the first person comes up and she gives, uh, you know, the overview of how we're kind of like we have to purge these books from our, our libraries. And really basically what they're saying, Central Books follows this kind of national like uh, school library standards, right? So they peg what books are in their libraries and that are kind of by, you know, reviewed at this national level, um, what's appropriate at different kind of grade levels and so on. Um, and what's, you know, w you know, what should be available for kids and all that stuff. So there's already kind of like a vetting um, system in place. It's not just like a free for all, right? Central Box pegs its, what's in its library to those national standards. Right. So really what these people are trying to do is saying, no, we want to reject those national standards. We don't want those kind of those, you know, those national liberals. I'm sure that's how they think about them determining what is kind of um, morally right in our community. So we are going to prevent these things from happening. Right. It is the same thing that's always happened when we see a book banning makes it into the news. Right. So what they do, they give the first person comes up and she gives their, uh, you know, the overview. And then you have like parent after parent, individual after individual show up and reading some of the most explicit portions of different pieces of literature, right? Um, there's a piece in The Bluest Eye, right, which is, you know, a, you know, it's a fairly stark and kind of disturbing scene of, you know, where, uh, of where this, this father is abusing the kid, right, if you've read The Bluest Eye, right? Um, and it is a disturbing passage, right? Um, but it's it's disturbing in if you read it in the context of the book, right? Um, it's grappled with, right? It's part of what's getting grappled with in that book, right? And how important it is, right? I mean, so it's not gratuitous in any stretch of the imagination, right? Um, and then you get another somebody comes up and reads a passage, right, where there's gay sex that's depicted, right, and things like this, and it's like parent after parent reading this stuff. And so on the one hand, you're like, these are these pearl clutchers, right? You know, these are these folks who are kind of want to make sure that, oh my God, we're so afraid. Um, we don't want to do this. Is it? But then they're just like reading it. And the way that they're reading it is kind of disturbing, right? Because they're like really into it, right? And so and they're reading it in front of all these people. In one case, this woman is reading it in front of her son that she claims to want to protect from it. Right. And she's, you know, she keeps on pointing to his or her son. Right. In the midst of it. It was the weirdest thing. Right. And so, you know, th the purpose of that. Right. Is to. Get that into the bloodstream. Right. Is to to make people hearing it go like this. Oh, my God. They have that there. Right. Because they want to think about it outside of context and everything. Right. You know, it's like uh, it, it was just really remarkable. So, you know, there you have it. So they're there once again. 
and uh, they're going after it again. And I'm also hearing that you're starting to see this, these attacks being made on social emotional learning um, in the Penridge School District. Um, but, you know, it was I think it was kind of important to see this uh, coming again. Um, I, I want to read a couple tweets here from uh, uh, Dinah Lagerman, um, which are she's right on the money. Um, I, I was following her during this stuff. She says, Republicans are obsessed with talking, thinking about sex. It's very strange. They also spend way too much time thinking about perversion, pedophiles, and sexual assault. I'm worried for their mental health. It's extremely concerning um, and unhealthy. I hope they get the help they need, right? I'm like, right on the freaking money, right? Right on the freaking money. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it was just a weird thing. So I don't want to bring that up and highlight that what numbers wanted to say, like, look, this is what's going to happen in the lead up to the, the midterm elections, right? Um, this fall is that they think the Republicans by they, I mean, the Republicans, the right wing Republicans, right? Which is basically saying Republicans now, um, are doubling down on the culture wars. And that's what we're going to hear. We're going to hear it's going to be about race. It's going to be about uh, it's going to be about trans kids. It's going to be about sex. It's going to be about book banning. Um, and that's where this is going to go. Right. So strap in. Right. Um, this is one of the things that I think is going to be absolutely critical um, for Democrats running in these districts to really think about. Right. And plan for. Um, I'm hoping the lessons from this past year, um, past year's school board elections have sunk in a little bit, at least, um, at least within some of these Democratic operatives who are always there and present um, in all these campaigns, is that you don't win the battle by avoiding the discussion, right? You got to fight it, right? And again, I mean, I keep on referring to uh, Diana Lagerman on this one, but when, you know, we had her on the show, it's one of the things that she said is like early on, there were, you know, the CRT stuff started coming out. There were some of the folks who are running um, on, for those, you know, running in the school board or running for school board were saying, we got to we got to we got to stop this. We got to contest it. And they were dissuaded from that. Say, no, we shouldn't. Right. We should focus on these local issues, focus on quality schools and focus on this stuff. Yes. Theoretically, people that's what people really care about. They really care about, you know, quality school for their kids. I get that. Right. But these culture war things do not work at the level of rationality. They work on getting, you know, the blood pumping, right? That's what that's how they move. And that's why they choose them. They try to put, like, you know, go at our kind of a kind of effective and, you know, our most base movements. And I say are in a very broad sense here. Right. That's what gets these kind of these folks motivated. That's what gets them off the couch. So that's what we're going to see. And that's going to be increasingly the case as we you find out that, you know, Republicans are becoming like, you know, more and more of an endangered species, right? Because there there's fewer of them, right? Their views are no longer popular, especially as they keep on going, uh, going further and further to the right, right? So what do they have to do? They have to kind of rely on other things to get people motivated to get out, to ensure that their base gets out. And the way that they do that is a constant barrage of red meat through their media systems, right? Through their organizations, right? Right for bucks and everything like that. Hi, Andy Meehan. Right. That's all the you know, all that stuff is kind of going on. The other thing that was interesting about that school board meeting um, in in Central Bucks was Paul Martino was there um, to I remember he's a guy who was kind of, you know, did was dropping ten thousand dollars per school board around the state um, and um, got really, really upset where some people said that he was had it was dark money was involved. Right. Um, 
I'll just put that aside. So anyways, he had this white paper produced or this organization had a white paper produced with an analysis of the money that was spent. Right. Um, I don't know if he was had what kind of involvement he had with. The, I don't know. So I don't want to misspeak here. So this white paper was produced. Right. That did an analysis of the money. Right. And in that it showed that actually the total spending. Right. Um, supposedly based upon this white paper, the total spending that say the say organizations and individuals, though Democratic candidates as a whole outspent Republican ones. Right. By something like three thousand dollars. Right? It's a significant amount of money. And that there were more PACs. Right. Or what he calls special interest groups like teachers unions on the um, Democratic side of the ticket. Right. So he said, you know, so they said that we're dark money and are not transparent when they're the one. It was so difficult tracking down all this money. Right. So I'm told, you know, that kind of stuff. But there was one piece in there that he said overtly, it says it right there in the right there in the in the, in the white paper that he put out there was basically he wanted to kind of like talk about himself as the savior. What he said is like, you looked at, he's like, you notice that there's one person with a large donation in there, right? It says Paul Martino is referring to himself, right? Has gave over $66,000, right? One person, $66,000, right? And then he says, if I hadn't done that, we would have been overrun. There's no way we could have won that election, Right. And there you go. That's exactly the point. If it had not been for one billionaire dropping in tons of cash, the Republicans were running an unpopular and unwinnable campaign. If it had not been for the money that helped with the character assassinations and the kind of like the misinformation about the about the race and the attacks on the Democratic candidates, then the Republicans would have had an extraordinarily huge uphill battle to win. If it had not been for the funding of these kind of like, you know, unmasked, like anti-masking things and the organizations that those that were funded, that were flooding those school boards, that would not have been winnable. And so he shows you the game. He shows you the hand. Republicans would have lost his words. They would have been completely outspent. So he came in and saved the day with his 60 plus thousand dollar donation. See what I'm saying? That's how this money works. That's how this money works. The money works to compensate for the lack of popularity of the ideas and the lack of people that adhere to this right-wing message. And the money gives that minority voice, that minority position, an outside influence in our media landscape. That's how it works. Right? Now, we could have a different kind of conversation about the funding of elections and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, th- I'm there for that discussion. Right. But the reality of it is, is that on the left, if you want to even call it that, I mean, most of these organizations that had these packs that supported these candidates were not left. Right. They were kind of on the Democratic leaning side of things. That's that Democrat and left are not the same things. If if anybody needs to needs the clarification. Um, But the Democratic like the ones in support of Democrats, you know, things like the teachers union, for example. Which brings me to my next point about what Paul Martino said at that meeting. 
pointed to the two um, Central Box school candidates that did win, right, and basically pointed to the fact that they got money from the um, um, uh, the, the the teachers union, right, um, from PSEA, from that kind of political action committee, right. So he says, huh, I got to think that the reason for that money is because there are teacher negotiations coming up. And that he demands, this is what he said, that he demands that those two candidates who receive PSEA money recuse themselves in contract negotiations coming up. That's where the rubber hits the road for the right wing, right there. There's a reason why you got like Simon Campbell, right, down in the, uh, was it, Pensbury School District, that he has been attacking teachers unions for, God, well over a decade now, right? He is a kind of like, you know, rampant, like, uh, uh, right to no request guy, anti-union, despite, you know, I'm not telling you anything that he won't tell you himself, right? I mean, he'll tell you how much he hates teachers unions, right? And that's what the right wing wants, right? The only source that we have right now, the only organized source we have um, on, you know, the kind of the broad left of of the spectrum, right? And you you really, you can't even recall a lot of, well, anyways, is our unions, right? Organized working people, right? Coming together to advocate for the interest of working people, right? That's why back in 2010 to 2011, you had Governor Scott Walker of Wisconsin that when the, on the wings, on the kind of the winds of the tail of the uh, Tea Party victories, what do they do? The first thing they go after, they go after unions, right? And that's what happens state after state after state after state. You go after unions. You destroy the unions because the right wing big money knows, right, that is the only thing that is standing in the way, right, of a complete rout from the Republican side of things. Right. And it's like, look, it's like shooting fish in a barrel in many ways uh, sometimes, because what happened, the Democrats, of course, during that same time where the Republicans started going after um, teachers unions or unions in general, public sector unions in particular, was the same period of time that the Democrats were walking away from unions. Right. Walking away from working class roots, embracing the professional middle class and all that stuff. Right. So here you've got Paul Martino basically saying, hi, I'm the big money. And without me, you all wouldn't have your your seats up there. Right. And number two, two of you that are up there got money from the teachers union. And I don't want that teachers union to have a good contract. So they should recuse themselves. So then the majority, the overwhelming majority of the complete board will basically be anti-union. That's what he just set up at that teachers meeting or at that school board meeting. You got to check it out. Right. So. So there you have it. There you have it. I'm just looking at this thing that showed up in my box. Ah. Okay, cool. This is good news. Um uh I'll wait. I'll wait till I I, do. I just got this I just got this message uh one of the people that I kind of wanted to see come on the show. Um, just got back to me and, uh, they're going to be, but we don't have a date yet. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you know until we have a date. Cause it's, uh, things are filling up. I got to check all my <laughs> notifications first. Anyways, anyways, I'm just a little distracted. 
what else do I got? What else do I got? Let me just go back over to my... I think that was pretty much it. So there's like, you know, a bunch of kind of cool stuff going on. The other thing I said is, you know, I said this earlier on the top of the show is like, I, I've been, you know, I, you know, I was one of these people that if you tell me you're going to try to start banning books, right, that that makes me want to read that book because <laughs> right? I want to know why it's being banned, right? I want to know why people are coming after it, right? Um, And, you know, one of the things that I read, you know, early on when it was part of a New York Times uh, special edition was the 1619 Project, right? And uh, that got turned into um, um, the Colhanna Jones, um, basically, and a team of folks put together, turned that into a book project. And so I've been reading that now, and it's, it's just it's just so good. I, I I wish I swear to God that sixteen nineteen project. I I wish to God I had had that as a kid when I was kind of learning this stuff. I mean, it's it's really a shame about the how the aspects of history that we have not learned. And, you know, and for all these folks that say, you know, like learning the real history of race relations in this country is going to kind of make white kids feel bad about themselves. I I fell every, and every time this has happened in my life, at least when I've kind of like, when people said this, there's bad stuff, don't go do that. You should, that I go and I read it. I feel empowered afterwards. Right, because the whole idea about understanding history is so that we're not going to repeat these mistakes, right? And so the big question is like, if learning that, if learning the full brutality of a system of of racism and the kind of the origin story of slavery and capitalism in this country is not worth telling, I mean, or or genocide of a of like you know kind of American Indians. I mean, come on, the whole idea of like. Dealing with the discomfort of that history is so that we are, it's present to us so we don't do it again. And so we can basically understand people we live with. I mean, I remember. I'm going to say when I was a kid, I'm like, it happens all the time, though. You hear people like, well, I didn't know about that. Or why is that person so mad when they're talking about, like, a woman, right, being upset about a comment that a guy says, right? Um, or, you know, um, or uh, a, a, a black guy kind of being upset about um, what a, a comment of some a white guy said, right? I mean, like, and then the other people say, well, why, why do they get so upset? Oh, God, they're getting kind of extreme, but I don't understand what the problem is here, Right. It's because you don't understand the different experience and history that is kind of like comes together in those exchanges. And once you understand it, it's empowering because you can make different choices. Right. If I understand why somebody is carries with a, a different weight of history than me, that I can be I can approach that person in a more direct way, an honest way. Right. And no, I personally did not create the system of white supremacy. That's true. But it's also undeniable, <laughs> right, that by my very being, I have benefited from that. Right? So I should have a call to try to disrupt that where I can. Right? That's empowering. So anyways, so 
as part of you know some of the reading I was doing for around the six, it was I think it was when maybe one of the chapters in the sixteen nineteen project book, um, but I know I, I was reading this other piece on it too as well where, you know, someone just raised that kind of question about saying like you know what is it, what happens, if you think about the persistent okay I'll think about my I was thinking about my town right my town in Utica Utica New York, and. I've been thinking a lot about it, you know, about what it meant growing up in that town. And I mean, and I've talked about this in a show a while back is like, I, I was surprised when I went back there and it just like the, the neighborhoods that I grew up in, are just dominated by Trump stuff everywhere. And I was like, wow, wow. And it, at first, my first impression was like, wow, that's, I mean, wow, things have changed so much, but the more I think about it, the more that that's really not true. I mean, there were, There was things in place, right, that 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 could encourage the development towards Trump, right? And and, and race is, I'm telling you, is like like probably number one is like, first of all, like in North Utica where I where I lived, right? It's kind of like literally on the other side of the river, on the other side of the tracks, right? So we're on um, the white side of the tracks, <laughs> right? Um, I grew up there, and it was basically. Italian immigrants, this, this area, not entirely Italian immigrants, but there's a lot of Italian immigrants um, that moved into East Utica. East Utica used to be called like like our little Italy, like East Utica was the, the, the little Italy of Utica, New York. Right. Um, and then as kind of like newer generation, next generations came up, same kind of stuff when suburbs began to kind of uh, emerging around cities. Um, some of the kids of those first generation immigrants were kind of looking for, you know, you know, the the standalone house with a backyard and things like this. And so these house farms, the early versions of the house farms, I mean, there was a little house, but, you know, began kind of plopping up. And then North Utica was born. It's a bunch of raised ranches, you know, uh, and ranches just kind of like there. And that's pretty much it, right? Um, a mall and schools, right? And it was almost entirely white, right? Uh, where that was not true, if you're in East Utica, you have East Utica and then kind of right next to, next to East Utica is you've got, uh, you know, it was primarily kind of uh, uh, um, black Americans were there. Um, we had kind of immigrant sections, especially when I was in, in junior high and the high school. You had a kind of uh, uh, immigrant uh, Vietnamese population that kind of started coming in. And then later after I left, it became um, Bosnian um, after the kind of, you know, the Bosnian conflict. So it's been this really mixed kind of center. You go there now, it's freaking fascinating. East Utica still has some of the Italian kind of feel to it, but it is like this multicultural mix that is just, it blew my mind even. So I was like, wow, this is awesome. But it also makes you think, oh, no wonder why the Trump thing is even more traction. Anyways, because that's the whole episode. But I was just remembering, just kind of recalling just like little things about growing up in that town. Like the, the jokes that our, you know, our parents would tell. Not just mine, but, you know, people in our neighborhood, right? You know, you're at a family picnic and the things that you tell. And some of that shit was really racist. <laughs> right? And it was just in the culture. Some of it was really sexist. And so, and if you ask those people, they would say, well, I'm not racist. But then... You just told that joke. And like, oh, you can't take a joke. I was just joking, right? I mean, that's that's how it would always go. But as you know, I started thinking about that. It's like, yeah. 
that was everywhere. I started thinking about my school. Right. And because we had kind of like uh, kind of uh, we had black students that were bused in to our school. Right. From kind of on the other side, from uh, kind of uh, in the central Utica. Right. And. There were kind of racial tensions and all that kind of stuff that was there, but there's but then it was more like, you know, kind of walking home from school or something like this. And you'd hear some of the commentary. And things that would be said like out of earshot of folks, of black folks. And if we're honest, I mean, if we're honest about our own histories, we have to recognize that. You know, and I, I think back to that, I think back throughout those things that like on the one hand, like, you know, I go like, wow, I can't believe that, right? And my own complicity of that whole thing, right? But then I'm also like, I, you know, when I was 12, I had no idea, right? I mean, this was just like the nature of things. That's what systemic racism is at an everyday level, right? You have kids that are born into things and you just kind of go, and just like anything, you just, the, your environment, how you grow up is your normal. But if your normal is infected with racism, <laughs> it just seems like that's the way things are. It's only when you start to realize that that is racist that you start to question it, right? And then you could do something about it in the long run, right? And so I started thinking about this really, this pushback, and I started to think about that dynamic that I was just talking about. And you have these, you know, parents that are so virulently anti, like, anti, like, diversity, anti DEI, and just like, and it's, and it's, it just, it's so, like, out of proportion to what we're talking about in the schools, right? Basically trying to create curriculums that are inclusive, right? That all the kids that are there are going to see themselves kind of welcomed in those spaces. Right. Which is what you'd want in a school, I would think. So this kind of virulence, right, this kind of like rampant kind of frothing racism that is cloaked in this anti-DEI stuff. What, what's that about? And then I got to think. There's got to be something about. They don't want their kids. To call them out on their own racism and sexism. They don't want their own kids, which then tells you that they are aware in part about their own complicity in those things. And they just don't want to feel that discomfort. When their kids start to ask them about those jokes that they told. Right? There's a picture. Cyril Michaleko published this picture in on his uh, newsletter. Looking at you, Joan Cullen, exactly. Um, it was a picture of, I believe it was from the s maybe 90s, maybe 1990s, maybe 19, I'm not sure. But it was a picture in Bucks County of a Klan group, Ku Klux Klan. Go back and look at his newsletter on Substack. And it's a picture of these folks posing. Some of them dressed in their clan hoods, other ones not, perfectly posing for this picture. 
because this area had clan chapters, right? I look over at, by Kutztown and Berks County, right down in the Boyertown area. There's an active clan chapter. Go look at the um, Southern Poverty Law Center. They have a kind of the hate tracker. They kind of, you know, got these chapters. There's, as Cyril's been pointing to, there's 3% of militia folks that are showing up at school board members and trying to kind of like fan these flames. There's Proud Boys in the area. I was driving through Quakertown the other day. There's there's a there's a pickup truck, right? Really nice pickup truck. Really great graphics on the side. Big sticker for um, the uh, Electricians Union, IBEW. And then right next to it, a 3 percenter sticker. <laughs> How about that? That's where I'm like, unions, man, we got to, that's, we, yeah, we got to do better in the union movement on that score, certainly. So there you have it, right? And and so I started thinking like, yeah, what happens if you start, what happens if you know about that racism, that deep racism, like virulent racism, anti-racist or, or anti-blackness in this county, the Ku Klux Klan stuff and other kind of extremist stuff. What happens if you know about that and you know that your family um, was somehow kind of connected to that? Or people in your neighborhood at a history, the meetings used to happen down the street. And you don't want your kid to ask questions about what did racism, what's the history of racism in this county? Well, one way of dealing with that is you purge it from your schools, Right. Now, I'm not saying that that's the motivation of all these people. I'm saying that I bet that dynamic of not wanting your kids to call you out on stuff is some of the kind of background force that goes into this stuff. Just a thought. Again, I'm just, this is, I'm just trying to relate to you what my thinking, my thought process has been about just that emotional like the frothiness of that of that that these debates so anyways that's what we got as we got for today um so uh, i'm not gonna do a last call today i think we're just gonna kind of cut it off at that point um because i but i've got i do have a bunch of stuff that i'd like to come back to at some point just to talk about some fun D D stuff and uh I, oh i did say i would mention this i'm gonna mention it so I, I i've said this before the dungeon run is this like it's a youtube show they they play dungeons and dragons um my my brother ryan had recommended it to me and it is freaking just it blows my mind the storytelling is just great. And again, you got to remember that it's a it's a show by professional voice actors, right? That and but they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, but that's kind of part of the context. And the goal, Jeff Kanata, who's the guy who's the the DM for it, um, he's fairly well known now. I now I've learned this as being this kind of just really incredible storyteller. And he talks about that as kind of collaborative storytelling uh, is what they're doing. And the story is just like, holy, it's just so good, right? And I've, I've tried to watch a bunch of other shows too as well. And the other ones that could be fun to watch, but they're nowhere near this, right? Um, it's also kind of like, I'm a fan of it because it, you know, it doesn't, it's very conscious about kind of, you know, say multicultural or, you know, multicultural democracy, right? Multiracial democracy, right? And kind of want to be anti-sexist, things like that, right? I mean, it, it's kind of built into the show. I mean, they don't kind of like, they're not preaching it, but that's like, 
you know, some of the worst tropes, the worst things that have happened in those those spaces, you, they're just they're very conscious about not having them space to create a space of of love and inclusion and sharing and stuff like that. But anyways, um, they just had an episode last week that I, I wish I mean, I will never I cannot spoil it because it's just like but it was like literally my mouth was open and it was so good. Um, and they have this show on Mondays called the cool down where they have um, some of the cast members uh, will kind of come on and just to kind of reflect back on the show. And they take like um, questions from Patreon and things like this. And um, so you had uh, these two, these two folks that um, uh, were really instrumental in the last show, come on and talk about kind of what happened, the kind of, which is great. And so um, if they stream live on Wednesday nights at, I think it works out to be 9 PM Eastern, right? It's 6 PM Pacific. They're, they're out in the West coast. But um I can almost never catch it live. So I have to wait till Friday where I can listen to it because it gets released about 11 o'clock our time. So it's actually, by the time I'm recording this, it's already out. So I'm looking forward to do that today and this weekend. So um, just love it. Anyways, uh, thank you all for uh, tuning in today. Um, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the time uh, that you've taken. Um, I know this has been a pretty trying time, especially given what's all happening in the news um, and I hope you're taking care of each other, um, taking care of yourselves. Um, we got another round of, uh, kind of crappy weather coming this weekend. Uh, it looks like kind of down to the Bucks, Bucks County in Philadelphia. It's going to be mostly rain and then mixed snow on Saturday. Um, my folks up in Utica, New York are going to be getting, um, uh, upwards of a foot tomorrow. So, uh, and I guess out further West in the state and, uh, North there's a uh, winter storm water, uh, warnings out there, but just remember, I was out this morning. I was coming to finish walking my dog, walked over to my kind of garden area, and we got the, uh, you know, the new growth is starting to come through. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Um, just see those, especially from the bulbs, starting to push up through um, some of the very kind of uh, beginnings of um, new green. Um, keeps me hopeful, I'll tell you that. So anyways, everybody, thank you for tuning in today. This has been Kevin Mahoney, founder and creator of Raging Chicken and Altacoot Podcast. Um, I'll let you know if we get somebody else on the show for Monday. Um, if not, well, we're going to just move ahead to planning, giving a, a Pashi update, um, maybe even fold in some stuff. There's an upcoming um, uh, rally in Washington, D.C. To, uh, um, to get rid of student debt. And uh, by the Debt Collective, um, there's a big, that's a big event that's coming coming up. So maybe we'll fold some stuff in there talking about student debt too as well. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for uh, kind of being here and being part of this community, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's the thing I look forward to each week, um, the connecting up with folks and, uh, you know, just to know that we've got each other's back. That's really where it's all about. Anyways, Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Um, remember, patreon.com slash Press today. Become a patron for a little five bucks a month. You can help out the show. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the show. Subscribe to YouTube. Love you. See ya. <laughs>